From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. If I know what I'm doing and I have a skill that people need or, or offer a product that people need, I'll be able to take care of myself. Today on episode five of Going Solo, I'm speaking with David Barnett. David left the corporate world twice. The second time, even though his job was ending, David was very careful about his time and his finances in order to maximize his chances for success. Listen as David describes factors that affected his confidence and his attitude, critical mindset characteristics to push forward into unknown territory. You can find out more about David and all of our episodes at goingsolo.smashingtheplateau.com. Are you building your business after a job loss? Let's talk. Visit our site at smashingtheplateau.com. Click Schedule Time with David to speak with me. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with David, I have to talk about our marketing team at CasSource. As you know, we want to improve the lives of as many people as possible that deal with a late career job loss. CasSource knows how to build connections with our audience through amazing content marketing. It's reassuring to work with a team that gets us. Everything the CasSource team produces is top-notch and does exactly what we need. We highly recommend the CasSource team and their content marketing services to you as you develop your marketing strategy. They will help you with the creative and the execution of the creative. Learn more by visiting cascm.com. That's K-A-Z-C-M dot com. Now let's welcome David Barnett. David has been working with small businesses for over 20 years and has been helping people buy and sell businesses since 2008. In 2011, he closed his business brokerage office and took a job with a bank. Thankfully, David is back in the world of entrepreneurship. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, David. My pleasure. And welcome back to the world of entrepreneurship. Great to have you back here. <laughs> well, it's, it's good to be here. I mean, I've been, I've, I've been back for a while, but um, my journey has a few interesting tidbits and stories along the way. And I thought, I thought it might fit well with, uh, with the theme of your podcast. Yeah. So let's actually talk about this. So you've made two transitions, right? From, from corporate mm-hmm. to entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I've always been an entrepreneur. When I was a child, a teenager, I always had, you know, sort of businesses on the go. But after university, I got a, a sales job with a Yellow Pages publisher uh, back when that was a very important media, you know, before uh, the internet really became what it is today. And I eventually left that job in the traditional way. I, I gave my notice and I quit and I, and I went and started a business with a partner that was the first time I, I left the corporate world. And, and at that time, I was, I was single. I had money in the bank, no children, no dependents. And so I was really in a very liberated position, I guess, where I was free to, to do as I wanted to. And there weren't great risks. If it didn't work out, I could always just go get another job. But the second time I left the corporate world, uh, which would have been back in 2014, it was a little bit of a different circumstance. At that point, I had a mortgage. I was divorced. I had two kids. And um, I had started to dabble back in my own business by creating sort of a side hustle consulting firm. 
But what happened in the corporate position is, is I shared, I was a representative and I shared a region here on the East end of Canada with another person. And they, they let it be known that they needed to cut one of us. And so I, I kind of raised my hand and if I didn't, it was probably going to be me anyway. Okay. So, so you saw the handwriting on the on the wall and decided to be proactive. Yeah, I, I let them know that if they were going to cut someone here on the East Coast, that uh, that I was prepared to to deal with that because I had some other things going on that I thought I could take advantage of. And, and they obliged me. And by being proactive, did that give you any kind of cushion or help you make the transition better than had they made the decision at a time when maybe you weren't quite as ready? I think it helped me feel more in control. You know, the, the, the fact that I was doing a little bit of consulting on the side is what, is what gave me the confidence because I don't think I felt like I was starting from scratch. Um, I had something that I could build upon, but being in control of how I used the time, I think is what helped me feel confident moving forward. Like a lot of people who get cut from the corporate world, I wasn't so much offered a, a severance sum but they offered me what's called a salary continuance. So they basically said, we'll keep paying you for a certain number of months, but should you become employed during that time, then those benefits get cut off. So what I chose to do is create a plan for that time so that I could work on developing um, sort of the building blocks or foundation of my business while they were paying me. And then I was going to be able to, to use those building blocks you know, to, to really get my business to the next level once I became free of that. But one of the other sort of neat little twists is that when my salary continuance came to an end, I was qualified for self, for, you know, employment insurance benefits. And one of the things that I did is I took advantage of a little used sort of option within the program that allowed me to collect benefits while I started my own business. And you know, not a lot of people have taken advantage of that. And I guess the rules vary depending on where exactly you are. But I think there's a lot of, from what I've heard from other people that I speak to around the world, is that other unemployment insurance programs offered by different governments sometimes have these options that people just aren't aware of. Uh, I think that's actually very true. And I know that here in the U.S., that unemployment is governed by the individual state. But I, I believe that there are some situations where you can continue to collect benefits while you're starting a business. Yeah. I guess the idea is that if you go out and, and you know, take a job, an open position, well, that's great. You've, you've you know, taken a position, you're no longer going to need those insurance benefits. But if they can help you create your own job, it means that that position's open for somebody else. And so it's a, there's a net benefit to the economy if unemployed people can create their own position. And so for me, what I had to do is create a business plan and I had to present it to a committee and, and show them that the business had a good opportunity of success. And the fact that I had been doing some consulting work on the side really spoke to that. It showed them that not only was there a demand for my consulting work, but that I was able to sell it and able to deliver for clients. And so I, I made that presentation and I got approved for the program. And um, I had to go, actually, there was a week of training that I went to and some different people came and spent time with us. So there was an, an accountant, for example, who came and talked about, you know, certain basic minimums for record keeping and sales tax and all that kind of stuff. 
and different people came in. And um, so I was able to do that. I was able to extend my unemployment benefits and collect on that money while I was building a business. And that small amount of income really does make a big difference in your, your confidence and attitude, I think, when, uh, when you're trying to get that business off the ground. For sure. Uh, and David, how did the plans work out? How did business actually develop in relationship to the plan that you had created? It, um, I, I think I overachieved the plan. I was able to grow things much more quickly than I thought, in fact. And I don't think, though, I really had any doubts uh, because I had been in business before um, in my life. You know, there's, there, right now in my work, I help people buy and sell businesses. That's the area of consulting that I do. And so, so I meet a lot of people who are in the corporate world that look to buying a business as a way of getting out of the corporate world. And some of the common fears that I often hear from people that are in these positions is that while they're confident in their career and they're confident in their ability to do the work, I think what what they lack is a confidence in knowing that they'll be able to pull everything together and make it work in a timely fashion so that they'll be able to replace that income that they have from the business that they're working in. And I think one of the things that that I often see with self-employed people is that that there's a that that fear of the unknown of of being able to make things work just kind of disappears when people spend any amount of time being self-employed because you begin to realize hey if i know what i'm doing and i have a skill that people need or or offer a product that people need i'll be able to take care of myself it's just a matter of keeping a cool head and following a plan and are there situations where you see that that ability to keep a cool head doesn't work so well? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've seen it. In, in the work that I do in helping people buy businesses, you know, there, there are people who, you know, they chicken out at the 11th hour. They, they get all their ducks in a row and they're, they're committed to a plan. And then at the very end, something happens and they, I think they lose that confidence and they don't want to move forward even though everything seems to be exactly the way they said they needed it to be. And they, and they still end up backing out. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist or anything, so I can't, you know, get to some of the, the deeper issues that may be going on with some people, but I have seen it. And, um, I, you know, I, from my point of view, I, I, I always tend to have to, to chalk it up to fear of some kind. Now, have you seen people who are, able to overcome that fear, even when the fear seems to be really huge? Yeah. And, and, um, when I see it happen, it's usually because people are able to, to logically know things, you know, that we feel things, we have a certain gut instinct about things. And then there's that logic of knowing things, you know, it's when you're in a big windstorm and you feel like the house is about to blow down or you, you worry that maybe the tree is going to fall over on your house but then logically you say, well, wait a minute, my house has been standing for decades. Uh, you know, we've had a wind like this before nothing bad ever happened before. So, so we're going to be okay. Right. And you're able to control that fear because you know, you can, you can logically think your way through this and say that it's going to be okay. Things are going to work out. And, and the reason why people buy businesses and, you know, the reason why they come upon my stuff and, and, um, and seek out my help is because they know that business is risky. That's why they want to buy a business that already has clients. The, the biggest risk in the business is already taken care of. 
the, the fact that there are people that are consuming the, the goods or services. And so to then worry about, you know, well, I don't think I can pull it off. Well, then what is it that they're worried about? Are they worried that they can't execute in their own business the way they've executed in other businesses? Because most of these people are successful managers uh, or professionals that have been doing this kind of stuff for other businesses, right? And um, yeah, so I mean, sorry, I'm not really sure where I'm headed with this, but yeah, I've seen people overcome it. And, um, and the fact that I help them overcome some of their biggest fears through acquiring already successful businesses, I think sort of lends itself to the fact that people can be logical about these things. Right. So, yeah. So I think what you're pointing to is that there's this tension between emotion and logic. I think so. Yeah. Especially for people that are right at the cusp of the transition. And, and I think there can be a big difference too, between people that are, that are setting their own timeline versus people that are not, you know, if, if you've been in the position, you know, working for a company for a long time and you, you decide on your own, this is the path I'm going to take. Well, then you can make plans, right? You can choose not to buy a new car. You can choose to pay off your credit cards. You can put yourself in a, in a more stable position so that when you go out on your own, you know, you can be less demanding of that new business, for example. Whereas people that are suddenly unemployed, I would imagine, you know, probably feel a little less easy because they've been, they've always just been thinking that that income will be there. Right. What resources did you use when you were going through through the transition to help you balance this the logic with emotion? Um, it's it's a great question. I think that you know my fears. It wasn't really that I used a resource. I I, I you know honestly, Dave, what I did is is I bought the peace of mind, and and the way that I did that was by having a savings account. And, you know, whether you're employed or not, having money set aside for the what ifs really goes a long way to helping make sure you can fall asleep at night. Mm. Are there other, other resources that you've seen your clients take advantage of that have really helped them with the, with the fear factor and trying to, to manage logic versus the emotion, particularly fear? Well, that, that outside voice, you know, whether it's through some kind of mentor or a peer, someone you can talk to about um, what's going on in, in your business, in your head, I think, I think is important. I was part of a, the first time I was an entrepreneur, I, was, I became part of a mastermind group. And when I, when I left my first business and went to work at the bank, I stayed in the group. And when I went out on my own the second time, I think that those people really did, you know, help to encourage me. You know, when I, when I told them that I was going to be doing this again, you know, their, the reflection I got back from them was not about what could go wrong. It was about, you know, why have you waited so long? Is it, you know, they could see that I was going to be successful maybe even before I was certain of it. So for, for people who haven't, spent a lot of time trying to develop relationships with one or more mentors that can be helpful, particularly making a transition from employment to entrepreneurship. What are some of the key things to look for and ways to try to develop um, a good relationship with one or more mentors? Well, I think you have to, you have to meet people that are in business. And, and this is the part 
you know, when I work with people that are looking at leaving the corporate world to buy a business, this is the one thing that really I have a hard time with sometimes is that they'll, they'll pull together a team of advisors that don't include actual business owners. They'll, they'll pull together people that are important to them that they respect, but they don't necessarily pull together the people that necessarily have the experiences that they're about to go through. And I think, I think that's one of the key things is, you know, you want to have people at hand that you can talk to who've actually lived through what you're planning to go through. I remember my mother, um, and, and she passed away over a decade ago, but I remember when I left the Yellow Pages to get into my own business, for three or four years after I got into business, she would ask me every once in a while when I was going to actually go get a job. And what I was doing was so far outside the paradigm of her life and her life experience that she was never comfortable with me being in business for myself. Yeah, but but I think I think even though I, you know, while I was in business the first time, you know, bought a house, I actually bought an income property. Like, I mean, I I was doing well financially. I was taking care of myself. She still was not comfortable with that with me. So, so that would not be the kind of person I would want to have within that mentor group. You want to have people that are, that are going to have already been through the things that you're going to be facing so that they can tell you that things are going to be okay or what to watch out for. And at the same time, David, how did you respond to your mother? Oh, I would say, look, I have a real job. I just, I just work for myself. It just means I have to do that little bit extra to make sure that I'm doing what I need to be doing. And, and I mean, that gets back to the whole idea that if you're going to be self-employed, if you're going to be running your own business, you have to be aware of the different hats you're wearing. You know, you, you're probably going to be wearing the worker hat because at the beginning, often it's just you and you have to do whatever it is that you're going to be doing for your customers. But you also have to wear the manager hat that has to tell the employee to stay late tonight because we need to deliver for the client. And you also have to be wearing the investor hat, which says, look, if we're not charging the right price, we're not going to be able to get an adequate return on what we've invested so far. And each one of those voices has to, has to be heard, right? And, you know, that's, I did a little presentation for some community college students a couple of weeks ago, and it was about sales. And, um, you know, there was this one woman there and she had a, she had a business involving horses and people doing riding. And she would give lessons and she had classes and people would also come and do trail rides through the forest on the horses. And she had a really hard time asking customers for money. And, um, you know, I just, I pointed out to her the fact that if customers were coming to her, it's because they wanted to spend time doing the horseback riding. They enjoyed it. It was important to them. Otherwise they wouldn't spend money on it. And if she didn't act in a responsible fashion and make sure that her business was profitable, then ultimately it would close. And then where would those people go? She actually had a responsibility to her customers to make sure that she ran a profitable business so that she would be there for them. And, and so you, you need to be exposed to those different kinds of perspectives and have people that are going to maybe give you that pep talk if you need it at any given point. Yeah, David, I want to go back to something you said earlier. In addition to finding a mentor or more than one mentor, you also talked about the benefit for yourself of being in a mastermind. Mm. How did you choose the mastermind so that it would be most effective for you? Oh, it's interesting because 
when I had my business brokerage office, so this would have been back in 2008, 2009, I was actually approached by a company that set up and ran masterminds. And so I had heard of the company before I had heard of their groups before. And so when they approached, I, I knew just from things I'd been told in the past by other people who had been members that there was benefit to being in it. So I joined. And in the first year, our group went through quite a bit of a shakeup. You know, we, I think we started with 12 people and we got down to eight or nine maybe. And then in the year following, we had a little bit more turnover, but eventually the people in the group sort of solidified as to who was there. So it wasn't really my design so much as being open to the opportunity and, and joining what, where I thought there was going to be some benefit. And then the group kind of found itself. And then once it, once it had had that chance to, to really form and people develop those relationships and trust, well, we stayed together for a long time. You know, I was in that group for 10 years before we reached the point where about half the people in the group actually got to the point where they were going to be selling their businesses. And that's when the dynamic changed so much that I didn't think it was, there was much there for me anymore. And so I finally left. And that, one, that was just last year. So it was, it was not really me. I didn't create the group. I just joined when the opportunity was presented to me. Right. And do you have any, any thoughts about how to recognize what a good group might be for somebody, particularly going from, again, from employment to entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think that you want to find a group that has people that are some people that are maybe further ahead on the same curve as you. So some other people who've made the same kind of leap and people who are, you know, further advanced than you. And, and you know, there's so many different topics within business and management and, and personal and professional development. You know, you can have people who are further behind you on the curve, you know, in one respect and ahead of you in other respects. And one of the things that that I learned so much from my group is that different people in the group seem to be leaders in different topic areas. And so you, you can't just think about, you know, you can't just say, I want to be in a group with a bunch of people who've been in business longer than me. You also have to look at all these other different, you know, aspects of business development and personal development. Because, you know, we're, we're talking about business, David, but already in this conversation, we've talked about fear. We've talked about feelings versus being logical. I mean, there's so many different things that get discussed when people bring a business problem to the table. It's, it's impossible to look at it simply under the microscope of business. A lot of the time, it's what's going in and on in our own heads and, and sometimes our hearts. Well said. So David, now that you have made this transition back and forth between employment and entrepreneurship and you have been in the business world for a number of years, reflecting back on sort of uh, on your experience and looking at where you are now, what do you most love to do? What do I most love to do? Yeah. You know, between the two, between being an employee or owning a business or just in general? It, just in general. Oh, I, I love to go camping with my kids. And <laughs> I mean, that, that's the thing I love to do. And when I look at the calendar, I have a, a, a wonderful love in my life. We've been together now for three years and, and we're engaged. And we travel a lot and we go out in the outdoors a lot too. And when we look at the calendar, a few months ago, we were planning the year. And when we looked at the calendar, I, I just, I remarked, I said, we have so many things that we're planning to do this year. 
whether a trip for the two of us or me taking the children someplace or camping trips or things we've committed to with the scouts, with my children. I just looked at the calendar and I said, I'm planning to be away for almost seven or eight weeks this year. You'd never be able to find a job that would give you that kind of flexibility. Right. So, so in conclusion, what advice or maybe words of wisdom can you offer for those, especially those people that are facing a challenging transition about how to create this kind of integrated life that feeds your soul, feeds your heart, and feeds your pocketbook at the same time? Yeah, I, I, I think that what I've always done to diffuse my anxiety about something is I've just simply put it out there about what the worst thing is that could happen, you know? And, and the reality is that if you live in a modern Western country, the worst thing that can happen is usually not that bad a thing. And well we, have a pretty, we have it pretty good here. And yes, yes we do. <laughs> you know, some of, the, some of the trials and challenges that, that many in the world face are truly awful. And, you know, I've known many, many people who've gotten into, gone into business and they've failed miserably. And, and at the end of the day, they, you know, they end up getting a job somewhere else. So knowing that the worst thing that can happen is probably not that bad a thing. Uh, you know, and, and for me, when I finally decided I had to close the doors on my business brokerage practice, I went and got that job at the bank. And so like, there you go. I went through the worst thing that could happen. I had to get a job and show up on time. And here you are this year planning to spend seven or eight weeks doing fun right. things with your yeah. family. Yeah. So there's the second big point. The worst thing that can happen is usually not that bad. And the worst thing that can happen isn't, isn't the final word. Because you, you always have round two, three, four, and five. Absolutely. So David, if um, someone wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today or get in touch with you, where's the best place to go? Oh, um, my blog site, davidcbarnett.com. I've got articles on there about buying and selling businesses, but my contact information is there too if somebody wants to talk to me about anything else. Great. And is there a, a free gift on your site that you might want to share? You know what? Uh, I'm going to share a download link with you, David, that you can put into the notes of the podcast. And it's for a, an ebook that I wrote called 21 Stupid Things People Do When Trying to Buy a Business. And so if anyone listening thinks that buying a business might be an avenue for them to make the change from the corporate world to being self-employed, please download it, take a look through that. Um, and if I can be of more service, just come on over to my blog site. Sounds great. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. My guest today has been David Barnett, Private Transaction Advisor. Thank you again, David, for joining us. Thanks, Dave. It's always a great time to be on the show with you. When you visit the Going Solo website at goingsolo.smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned how David Barnett made two successful transitions from employment to entrepreneurship. Are you building your business after a job loss? Let's talk. Visit our site at smashingtheplateau.com. Click Schedule Time with David to speak with me. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring 
Going Solo to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. Thank you.